Well, I just want to echo what Bonnie was saying earlier about how wonderful it is to be a part of a, a singing church. I, I don't know about you, but they're in that last hymn. Um, just, I, I know the song was new for some of us. I'd heard it, but I don't think I'd ever sung it. Um, but I could, as we kind of moved through the hymn, we, we all kind of got it. And just the, the eagerness and the earnestness and the joy with which you were singing, I mean, it's just so moving. So, so grateful for that. Um, there's much about the way the world is turning these days that is worthy of lamenting, right? There's a lot about what's happening in the world that concerns us, that distresses us. But one thing that I'm grateful for um, in our rapidly changing culture is that the speed of change that we are experiencing is causing people to look for stability, for ancient paths, and for deep roots. A a friend shared an article with me this week uh, that got me thinking about all this again. And one of the things the author mentioned in this article is he, he was talking about what was happening in the Greek Orthodox Church in his town. Now, if you don't know much about the Greek Orthodox Church, um, their, their worship is one of the oldest forms of worship, the, one of the oldest liturgies that there is. Right? They, they can trace it back to, I don't know, two, three hundred years after Christ, the form of worship that they practice. And so it's, it's got a rich, deep tradition. And he's, he said this in the article. He said, the local Greek Orthodox parish here in Lincoln recently had five adult new convert baptisms, which is about five times more than many PCA, that's a Presbyterian denomination, five times more than many PCA congregations will have over several years. And he talked in that article about some of the reasons why he thought that was happening. Why is this Greek Orthodox Church experiencing so many new converts, adult baptisms? And uh, some friends and I were talking about this this week. And and one of the reasons I, I think this is happening is because people are experiencing this desire for rootedness, for something old, for something stable, for something that is rich and profoundly meaningful that they can be connected to when everything else around them seems to be up in the air and changing every five seconds. So I want to make the case this morning that one area of our worship that should speak to that desire for deep, meaningful, ancient practices is our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Not only is the Lord's Supper an ancient practice, of course, going back to uh, Jesus instituting it on the night before his crucifixion 2,000 years ago, but it has even deeper roots in the Passover, which started almost 1,500 years before that. And not only is it ancient, but it is rich in meaning, in ways that many Baptists have forgotten or neglected over the years. So over the next several months, I hope to preach several sermons, usually once a month on the Sunday we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, several sermons on the Lord's Supper in the hopes that we can connect ourselves to those deeper roots and to that rich significance of this most important meal that we share together. 
This morning, I want to do that by looking at the Passover in the Old Testament and its connection to the Lord's Supper. So I'm inviting you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12, where we read about the first Passover and the instructions God gave not only for celebrating it that first time, but for celebrating it in the years that followed. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14 And then I'm going to skip down to verse 43 and read to the end of the chapter from there. So we skip a big section in the middle, but we'll start in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb According to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then skipping down to verse 43. It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. 
Now, you might be wondering why, if we want to dig deeply into the Lord's Supper, we are starting with the Passover. And there are several good reasons for that. And even just thinking about these connections between the Lord's Supper and the Passover, I think enriches and deepens our understanding of what we are doing and what we are experiencing when we take the Lord's Supper together. The first reason why we're making this connection is because Jesus himself makes this connection. In the passage we read earlier from the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper while he was eating the Passover with his disciples. That was not accidental, that was intentional on Jesus' part. That he forged this connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And part of the reason why he did that is because the Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' death, which fulfills the Passover. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, probably the clearest statement we have of this anywhere in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What does he mean by that? He means that Christ is the fulfillment of what the Passover lamb represented. The Passover lamb whose blood was shed and placed on the doorposts, That pointed to Christ's death on the cross. And we'll talk more about that later. But the Passover is fulfilled in the death of Jesus, which is why Jesus can take the Passover meal and out of it say, this is my body, this is my blood, this meal is about me. But also, something we don't think about, I think, as often when we think about Passover and the Lord's Supper Both of these meals recall a major saving event for God's people. The Passover was a meal designed to remind the people of God year after year about how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and brought them out and made them a new nation. It was a meal that meant something, that signified something, that was meant to remind them of something that had massive significance. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel speaks of God as the God who brought us out of Egypt. That's who he is. That's who we are. We are the people God rescued. We are the people God delivered. And the Passover meal reminded them every year or was supposed to. They didn't always celebrate it like they were supposed to. But when they did, it was meant to remind them of what God had done to save them. And the Lord's Supper does the same for us. The Lord's Supper is a meal reminding us of what God did. How he gave his son who laid down his life on the cross that we could have full salvation. The forgiveness of our sins and new life and fellowship with God. All those things we are reminded of in this meal. And for all these reasons and probably others, the apostles would have and did connect the Lord's Supper to the Passover, and so should we. 
when they described the Passover or the Passover meal they ate with Jesus that became what we know as the Last Supper, which became the Lord's Supper. They, we saw in Matthew, he highlights all throughout that chapter that connection between the Passover and this now Lord's Supper meal that we celebrate. We should be thinking as they were thinking about the connections between the Lord's Supper and the Passover. Think about it like this. When the disciples began sharing communion, sharing the Lord's Supper together after Jesus' death and resurrection. It was not new for them to sit down at a table together and share a meal that was not just a meal, but a meal that was a memorial, a meal that was a reminder, a meal that carried weight and significance, that told them who they were and reminded them what their God had done for them. They would have carried that weight of centuries of practice of celebrating the Passover into their celebration of the Lord's Supper. So if the Lord's Supper feels to you um, maybe lighter and, and less weighty than the way you think the Jews would have experienced celebrating the Passover, if you think, well, that sounds rich and deep and full and meaningful and, and, and you're thinking about the Lord's Supper, it doesn't feel quite as weighty, quite as significant. I would argue that that's not the way Jesus intended us to feel about it. That if we make the connections between the Passover and the Lord's Supper and we recognize uh, how these two things help us uh, understand the significance of what we are experiencing, that we should experience the Lord's Supper as a rich, deep, meaningful, weighty, identity-shaping experience. So, what is the meaning of the Passover? What was the first Passover about, and how does that help us deepen our understanding of the Lord's Supper? Well, the first thing I want you to notice about the instructions that God gives to Moses for the people in Exodus chapter 12 is that the Passover is wrapped up with Israel's new year and new identity as a new nation. So one of the first things that God tells Moses in Exodus 12 about the Passover is that it's going to the month it's going to take place in is going to be their first month of the year. It's their January. This is, this is your new year. This is your new calendar. And in the first month of the year, every year, that's when you are going to remember what I did for you on this day. That your new year is going to begin each year with a reminder of this great moment of salvation. So this event that the Passover is recalling for them is also marking a new era for Israel. It is created, God is creating, in a sense, a new calendar for them. This is the first month now of your year. And not only that, but this is when they become a new nation. So back in Genesis, before they came to Egypt, God told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And before Jacob went with his family down into Egypt, remember Joseph had already gone and there was a famine and they were going to Egypt for food and they they find out that Joseph is there and so now Jacob's going to take his whole family down there to Egypt. But that 
That's a big deal. God tells Jacob, it's there in Egypt that I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then when God brings them out at the Passover, brings them through the Red Sea, brings them to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, and all this, it it, it happens over chapters, but it's all one big event, right? They, They come to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, and God tells them there, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Because they weren't a nation before that. They were a bunch of slaves from the family of Abraham who were captives in Egypt, who God had promised he would make a great nation, but they had not been a nation yet. It was not until the Passover when God brought judgment on Egypt, brought Israel out, and they entered into a covenant with him at Mount Sinai that they became the nation God promised them they would be. So this meal and this event are marking Israel as God's people as a nation that God has redeemed, and even their calendar reminds them year by year of the new identity, the new start God gave them when he ransomed them from Egypt, when he uh, rescued them from captivity and from slavery. And this happened through the slaughter of a lamb. He tells them in verses 3 through 7, he gives them specific instructions about what they are to do. Each household is to take a lamb and they are to kill it like a sacrifice. They are to take the blood from that lamb and they are to put it over the doorpost and on the lintel, marking their home as a home belonging to people that belong to God, that trust God, that hear God and do what God says. He gives them instructions about uh, how to eat the Passover. Even the way that they dress is significant. Not that they, they're not, not that they have to like dress up, right? But the way they dress even at this meal, rem- at this point, is significant because of what's going to happen, right? But it also reminds them of what God is doing. So they're told, you eat this meal with your belt fastened. You eat this meal with your sandals on. And you eat this meal with your staff in your hand. Why? Because when you eat this meal, you've got to be ready to go. Because tonight is the night. Tonight is when God is striking down the Egyptians. Tonight is the night when he is executing his final judgment upon them uh, of these ten plagues, the last and climactic one. And when I say it's time to go, you don't have time to find your staff and put on your sandals. It, it's time to go. You need to be ready to leave Right then. So even how they are to dress during this meal matters. Again, because God is executing judgment. And this too is significant for our understanding of what is happening in the Passover. God tells them uh, in verse 12 that he's going to execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And then he says in verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The reason it's called the Passover is because God's judgment 
passes over those who have the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. That is one of the clearest pointers of and pictures of the gospel we have anywhere in the Old Testament. When Paul says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, what he means is we are under the judgment of God because of our sin. But Jesus has died, sacrificed himself in our place, so that if his blood covers us, God's judgment will pass over us. That we will not be struck down. That we will not suffer the weight of the punishment of our sin. Because Christ has taken it for us in his death on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we believe. And that's what, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to believe. To trust in Jesus who died in the place of sinners. So that anybody who turns from their sin and trusts in him receives Full forgiveness, and God passes over our sins. Now, God doesn't only give them instructions about celebrating the Passover on this particular night when God brings them out of Egypt, but also for continuing to celebrate this meal going forward. So in verse 14, he says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So God intends for them to continue to share this meal together year by year on this particular day to remind them of what God has done for them. It's a feast. It's a celebration. It's something they are to share together, reminding them of what God did on that first Passover. And it's a teaching opportunity. Now, I didn't read these verses earlier, but in verses 24 to 27, he tells them what to do when inevitably they get questions from their children down the road about what they're doing when they eat this meal. Verse 24 says, You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Not just a one-time thing, not just for a few years. This is You keep doing this. And then verse 25, when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The Lord's Supper is a teaching opportunity. If you've got small kids, you've had this opportunity. Right? We pass the elements of the Lord's Supper and they say, what is that? Can I have that? Why can't I have that? What is this about? That's a great opportunity to explain to them what we're doing. We are remembering what Jesus did for us. And, we, and it's not complicated. right? We don't have to make it complicated. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body, that he died on the cross. The blood reminds us that he shed his blood so our sins would be forgiven. And we take this together because the people who have gathered to do this, they're people who believe in Christ. They believe that Jesus died for them. They believe that Jesus has paid for their sins. And they're remembering and celebrating what God did for them. That's why we do this. Notice at the end of Exodus chapter 12 that uh, there's also instructions about who should and who can participate in this meal. 
there's a lot of specifics in here, but the long and short of it is simply this. He says, verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. God wants all of his people to participate. He wants all of his people to be a part of sharing in this meal. But he also says only his people can participate in this meal. So you say, well, why, why does he say foreigners can't eat of it? And why does he say, well, th- these people can if they're circumcised and all that? Kind of, well, all, what all of that is about is simply this. You have to be a part of God's covenant people in order to enjoy the meal that reminds you of how God saved his covenant people. Right? So the reason they have to be circumcised to participate is because at that time, circumcision was the sign of their covenant with God, like baptism is for us now. Baptism marks us as God's people, right? as belonging to God, as being members of the body of Christ. That's sort of our entry point, right? Circumcision was for them. That's what marked them as belonging to the people of God. So you had to be a part of God's people in order to celebrate the meal, remembering how God rescued his people. Which is why we say, when we talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper, that it's for those who have believed in Jesus and have been baptized in his name. You've been marked as belonging to the people of God. You believe in Jesus. If that's you, you're welcome to celebrate. But if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you know you're not a Christian, this meal is not for you. Right? Because you're not, you can't remember what Christ did for you until you believe that he did that for you. The whole point of the meal is a remembrance of what Christ has done, a celebration of giving thanks for what Christ has accomplished. And if you have not received that, if you have not believed that, then it's not for you yet. But we would hope that you would believe it, that you would trust him, and that you would want to celebrate that meal with us because you have come to believe that Jesus' death accomplished the forgiveness of sins and that you've put your trust in him. So as we take the Lord's Supper today in just a few moments, take it as a rich reminder of what God has done, of how he has saved us. Recognize that the meaning of the elements of the bread and the cup, they're meant to remind us of the reality of Jesus' death of the reality of the promises of the new covenant, like forgiveness of sin and fellowship with God that Jesus purchased by his death. Think about, as you take this meal, think about that you are, in a sense, joining not only Christians all around the world who are remembering Jesus' death this morning, but we are sharing in the same meal that the apostles shared in with Jesus that the early church shared in together, that Christians for 2,000 years have been sharing in together, giving thanks for Christ's sacrificial death in our place for our sin. And even further back than that, we are sharing in a meal that has its roots in the Passover meal that the believing saints in Israel ate year after year, not only looking back to the Exodus, but also looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, their Savior and ours, whose blood and body we have tangible reminders of in this great meal that we share together. Let's pray.